I be uh, can I be vulnerable with you all for a moment? Can I can I be honest about something? I um, dancing is one of the most embarrassing things to me. I don't mean anyone dancing. I mean me dancing is one of the most embarrassing things to me. I I have never in my recollection ever felt comfortable <laughs> with it. Um, certainly out in public, like when I'm at my house by myself, it's fine. Um, but I'm so self-conscious about it. Uh, it's, it's almost never a positive experience for me. Um, and I can fake it, kind of. Um, Michaela would say that I can't, uh, but uh, it, it's never good. I end up just like clapping and looking around a lot, like, can I go? <laughs> Is this over? Um, but if you have kids, or if you've been around kids for any amount of time, you've probably noticed that kids don't have that problem. Before, um, before he could even walk, my son Apollo, who, who's just turned two, has loved to dance. Like he, he hears music and he just starts dancing. Like that's just his normal thing to do. Um, sometimes, often actually, he asks me to put on music solely so he can dance. And he just like loses his mind dancing. He's having the best time. He doesn't have that self-consciousness yet. And I'm trying my best to do what I can to make sure that it doesn't happen. Um, he is relentlessly authentic. He, he's honest. He's never faking it, right? Uh, if he's feeling joyful, he's dancing around and screaming at the top of his lungs. If he's frustrated, uh, if he's distraught, you know what's going on with him at any given time. And I feel like that's just something we lose as we get older. Um, and some of that is good as we learn to grow up and like interact with other people and not think that we're the centers of the universe, but... Um, it's certainly something that we lose after we learn shame. Um, and we learn to wear different masks in different situations to protect ourselves from pain or discomfort or to try to keep up uh, someone else's expectations of us. But one of the things that we're invited into when following Christ is to ditch the masks and to let God shine out of who he's created us to be in every aspect and season of our lives. And that's certainly what we're going to be looking at tonight uh, as we get into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Last week, Matt uh, introduced this series, and he talked through the Beatitudes, which are these eight short sayings that Jesus says at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, tonight, we're going to get into the actual sermon, but um, I just want to set the stage for you a little bit so that you can imagine what is happening as Jesus is saying these things. Um, so if you remember, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, uh, 40 days in the wilderness, and uh, the devil or the tempter... Um, questioning his sense of identity of who God is and who he is at the end of those 40 days. Right after that, Jesus goes back to uh, the town. He starts um, gathering up his disciples, these 12 men that will follow him for the next uh, three years. And then he just starts traveling kind of all around um, the area, healing people, performing miracles. And before long, there are people from all over Israel following him around. He's gathered this huge crowd of people, and he goes to, uh, it's, it's called a mount, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, they don't really have mountains like we do, like we think of when we hear mountain. It's more of like a hill. Um, so if you went and looked at it, you'd, coming from where we come from, you'd be kind of disappointed. But it's basically just a high part of the ground that Jesus could sit on and teach from and see everyone. And so he gathers his disciples and he sits down and starts teaching his disciples, but also so that everyone who is following him right now can hear what he's saying. 
And he, he starts with those eight blessings, those eight beatitudes that uh, Matt talked about last week. And then uh, he gets into the main crux of his sermon, and it starts like this. Jesus says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt them to open up to God, this generous Father in heaven. That's Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. So Jesus, right off the bat, starts his Sermon on the Mount by using two metaphors to describe what we, his followers and representatives, are supposed to be like in the world, salt and light. These are two things that we take for granted today. Um, but in Jesus' time, both were scarce. They were not easily acquired. And both make a huge difference. So if you had them, you, you used them. Um, neither salt nor light do very much good on their own. It's only when they're used properly um, that they are most fully enjoyed. So uh, salt is probably about as useful as dirt. Uh, dirt on the ground if, if you aren't using it to season or preserve food or, you know, melt ice off of sidewalks like we do here. Um, similarly, as Jesus alludes to, having light but using it to only light up the inside of a bucket <laughs> Um, rather than putting it out in a place where it can light up the room, um, that'd be pointless. It would be a waste. The same is true for you and I. Um, Jesus says that we're to pour ourselves out into the world, seasoning and illuminating, not withdrawing and keeping to ourselves, uh, not dulling or dimming our light. That would be pointless. When we do that, we're as useless as salt or, or uh, salt that isn't salty or, or a light that's under a bucket. But when we join God to incite love and reduce suffering and increase joy, like we try to do around here, when we live out of who God has created us to be, we make the world a better place and we reflect uh, love to the people in our lives. Our salt and our light in the world point people back to him. This is the same idea that Jesus is alluding to. This is the same idea as God's original call to his people back in the early Old Testament that we've talked about several times at this point. Uh, God's call to Abraham that he says that they are to be the means through which God blesses the entire world that the people of God are blessed by God to be a blessing to everybody else. Same idea as uh, what we talk about around here when we say that we're joining God to incite love and reduce suffering and increase joy for the people in our lives. It's being God's salt and light in the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the NIV translation of how this passage ends. And this is uh, where songs like This Little Light of Mine come from. Um, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. And so on and so forth. Um, it's also uh, the, the message version that we first read is the inspiration behind the massively successful 90s Christian music hit Shine by the Newsboys. Yikes, look at those guys. 
Uh, shout out to all my 90s church kids. Uh, you can probably hear that song in your head right now. Um, there's a line in there about barbecue hamster. It's like the only thing I can remember about that song. But it's based off a Bible verse, I promise. Um, so what's the reason for all the shining? Uh, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're to be, we are to be an example and picture of how God is like in the world around us, which I think is absolutely true, obviously. But I think that you can see, um, if you think about this for more than two seconds, you can see how we as the church have taken this idea in the wrong direction sometimes. I think we understood that we're to represent God in the world and that our lives are supposed to be a testimony of God's character. But I think somewhere along the line, we stopped trusting uh, that God's character can shine through our imperfections and failures. And we took it upon ourselves to try to make things extra shiny. We tried, and I think often are still trying, to reverse engineer what the world sees by putting on happy faces and pretending like everything is awesome all of the time. Uh, we feared that if our lives are, are just as hard, and as messy, and broken as the world around us, that they wouldn't see anything worthwhile in us. And that, that would mean that we're just not very good witnesses for Christ, whatever that means. And so, instead of being authentic and vulnerable and, and showing the world how different uh, it is to lament and mourn and struggle and face hardship when you depend on grace and know that you are loved by love itself... Um, Sometimes we just pretend like we never mourn or struggle or face hardship. Um, we put on a happy face thinking that it's the best way to reflect God's love to the world, to act as if everything is great and we are great and Jesus is great and we are just best friends and we laugh together at his jokes and we're just so perfectly healthy and content and fulfilled and just so hashtag blessed. And there's a lot of problems with this approach, right? <laughs> Uh, one of them being that the world uh, sees right through that kind of artificial put-togetherness. The world is not attracted to, or at least is only fleetingly attracted to, shallow, fake happiness because it's fake. It's not real. It doesn't look like, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't quite fit with real, authentic life. Like me dancing. It doesn't make any sense. And as soon as things actually get hard, it all falls apart. Uh, there's something wrong with us, we think, or there's something wrong with God, or both. And sometimes I think in an effort to not fall into that same trap, okay, we're not going to just pretend like everything's great and wonderful all the time, um, or in efforts to distance ourselves from those fake, happy people, um, we swing the other way, and, and we um, put on a different kind of mask, one that doesn't really acknowledge happiness, and, and instead focuses on everything that's wrong only all the time. I'll be honest, this, this is where I tend to operate from, especially if I'm not being intentional about it. Uh, if I'm catching up with someone and they ask me, you know, how are things going? How's it going? It's a normal question that you ask someone, probably daily. And a lot of times I can think of probably six, seven challenging or difficult or um, sometimes terrible things going on before I can think of one good one. It's not accurate. That's not an accurate representation of my life, but it's just, it's where my brain goes. Partly because growing up in church, I've conditioned myself to see happiness as shallow and fake or just like dangerous. Maybe you can relate to this. I, I think many of us, um, especially when it seems like things are going well, 
that can be scary. <laughs> we feel uh, scared that if things are going well, if things are good, but then they go bad, that means something about us. It means something that, that we've done something wrong. We failed in some way, or, or it means even more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Even more terrifyingly, maybe it means something is wrong with God. Like this whole thing that we've thought that we knew, maybe we're wrong about. And so we try to protect ourselves or God or both from the humiliation of an I told you so moment and we dull down and we dilute the truth. We, we see only half of reality at best. We don't wanna to be too shiny, right? We don't want too much shine. That draw too much attention and too much pressure. Instead, we just try to keep our focus on what's wrong and what's broken, moving from lament to lament to lament. And so we, we, we often can fall into these two ditches on the side of the road, um, utopia or dystopia. Neither one is real. And most of the world isn't drawn in by a shallow utopia or a hopeless, bleak dystopia. I think we as humans are drawn into a real and raw, integrated uh, way of life that's able to encompass, encompass and embrace uh, the entirety of our experiences, not just uh, some of them. Our call to be salt and light in the world is not a call to pretend to be something other than who we are, who we already are. Jesus says we are the salt and light of the world now. It's not something that, uh, that we attain later. It's not a state that we'll achieve in the future. It's rooted in who he created us to be from the very beginning. So the best way for us to season and illuminate the world, the best way for us to reflect God's love to the world around us isn't by trying to represent who we think they want to see in God. It's just by being as honest and, and authentic and real and vulnerable and as filled with grace as we can be. To be salt and light is to be real and honest and authentic and vulnerable and as filled with grace as we can be in every season of life. So if you're celebrating, celebrate. If you're mourning, mourn. If you're slogging your way through the monotony, own that. If you're cautiously optimistic about your life right now, don't pretend to be a pessimist. Share the good things that are going on in your life. Share the hard things that are going on in your life. Share all the neutral things, which is where most of us live, if we're honest. Because when you know that you are loved by love itself, and when you have hope that this broken world is going to be made right, and when you know that you don't have to earn the love or the approval of the ground of all being and the creator and sustainer of the cosmos, then you're free to lose the masks and, and no matter what you're going through. That's what the world would be attracted to. That's what the world needs, a better way of life that helps us all take off our masks and be who we actually are. When things are good, when things are really hard and everything in between. Like we just read at uh, the end of the, the, for the message version of the scripture that we read tonight, Jesus says, be generous with your lives. Literally, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt them to open up to God, this generous father in heaven. So this portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a reminder to us that we are called to be out in the world. We are called to be like salt and light, seasoning and illuminating, enhancing and enriching and blessing the world. And the best way to do that is not by pretending like we're salt and light, pretending like we're anything other than who we truly are. 
The best way to do that is by embracing the truth that we already are salt and light. The best way to do that is to embrace being authentic and honest about our experiences, especially our experiences of suffering. Because in doing so, we show the world how all of life, even the most difficult and darkest parts, are better when they're lived in love and grace. So a few questions for you to think through. When in your life do you tend to wear masks? What settings do you find yourself diluting the truth of your life, either with a happy or stoic or melancholy mask? Where do you feel like you have to project something that isn't real to the people around you? I think that, that place, if you can identify it, is where tonight God is inviting you to be salt and light. That's where God is inviting you to, to grow, to live out of who he's created you to be. That's where he's inviting you to take the risk of being authentic. That's where he is inviting you to take the risk of being um, honest enough to dance like Apollo, which I don't know if I said that's my son's name. That might not make any sense. <laughs> he's who I talked about at the beginning. Anyway, <clears throat> that's where God is inviting you to shine. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for um, wisdom that is thousands of years old, that continues to remind us of who you are, that continues to remind us to, to stop pretending that we are anything other than who you've created us to be. God, I pray that all of us in this room would find the freedom that comes from taking off our masks. God, I pray that each of us would find the courage and, and take the risk to be a salt and light in the world. To point people back to who you are simply through who you've created us to be. It doesn't mean that we will have all the answers or that we'll know the right things to say most of the time. But God, I pray that we would be honest and authentic people following you. God, we love you. Amen.